Welcome, Duck fans, to another edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me uh, on this show, like we always do each week. And Eric, we're recording this on August 8, August 19th, almost at the 18th. It's a Monday. It's an off day for the Ducks, or I, I should say, the Ducks are practicing today, but it's an off day from a media perspective. Uh, there is no commitments for us to go and watch. Uh, practice and speak to interviews and whatnot. So it's kind of a day off for us, but it's fall camp and we're gearing towards the end of fall camp. Yeah, it sounds like speaking with some players uh, on Friday that the, 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 the basically Saturday scrimmage, which we'll, which we'll get to in a moment, marked kind of close to basically the end of fall camp in a traditional sense. And now we really are starting to make the transition to some Auburn prep week stuff. So you know, you, you look at it, and over the weekend, we just passed the two-week mark from the season opener, which is crazy to me that we're now basically 10 days away from the opener, and uh, football's coming, man. It's like it's around the corner this upcoming Saturday. I think they have the first college football games of the season. Um, yeah, it, it just it feels like a level of inevitability right now, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah, Arizona, I believe, goes to Hawaii to start the season. Uh, from a Pac-12 perspective this weekend. Um, big news out of that scrimmage, and we'll go into details on that scrimmage as well, but um, the big news from the scrimmage is that Micah Pittman has suffered an injury, Oregon's true freshman wide receiver, uh, a guy that's been working in the slot, guy that's been working on the outside, um, and you basically talk to any player out there the last two weeks at, at Oregon, and or even coaches for that matter, is that he has been one of the most impressive players during fall camp, and now um, a, a position that Oregon went into fall camp saying, basically every position but wide receiver you feel pretty good about, and at receiver you hope some newcomers can step up, some some veterans can show improvement, and your offense goes back to being you know completely dominant. And that position has been decimated by injuries because you now have Brendan Schooler out. You have Brett, Micah Pittman out. We also have J.R. Waters, another true freshman who's been running with the ones and the twos and some of the threes. He's also out for an extended period of time. And um, the Pittman one, though, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Waters here in a little bit. But the Pittman injury is pr- pretty devastating uh, and, and pretty impactful for this Oregon football program going forward. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, one of probably the, the few guys offensively, one of the top guys that you don't want to see get hurt just because throughout camp, he was spoken to as kind of a, a really reliable part of the passing game. You know, a guy who rarely dropped passes, who made the fantastic, you know, catches look easy. Uh, a player who sounded like had all the makings of being a star this year. And we don't know severity of injury. We should mention Cristobal wouldn't, didn't really communicate that when he spoke after the scrimmage on Saturday. So there's still a a level of kind of uncertainty about what exactly the injury is, how long he might be out. But if he does miss extended time or if he does miss any time at all, because the opening game is against Auburn, I mean, this is a a huge injury. I mean, this is potentially, I I predicted it back in June. This is a guy I predicted to lead the team in receptions this year. And the guy I predicted to be second was Brennan Schooler. So the two top guys on my list are now (laughs) potentially out for extended periods of time. And, with a position like receiver where it wasn't a particularly strong group going forward anyway, and you were relying on guys like Pittman, Schooler, you know, Jawan Johnson, who is still healthy, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red, who are also still healthy. 
to lose two of those top guys is really significant. And Pittman being one that probably felt like the biggest, you know, big play kind of playmaker kind of guy, a, a guy who was extremely reliable. I, I just think this is a, a really significant injury. And, and obviously you hope for the best and you hope that this isn't something that's going to cost him, you know, ex- extensive time. And, and who knows, maybe it's not a significant injury and, and he'll play against Auburn. We don't know right now. Uh, we would be speculating to say otherwise, but if he does miss that Auburn game, I think uh, I'm not going to say I'm changing my prediction for that game. I have Oregon, you know, right now picked to win, uh, but it would cause me a, a second to kind of sit back and look because part of what Oregon needs to do to win that game is to have some success passing the football. Auburn's defensive line is about as good as you're going to get. Probably the best group Oregon will face this year unless they meet Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And now you're going against them without probably at least two of your top weapons on the outside. Uh, that's significant. And then, yeah, you throw in the waters thing. We should mention Lance Wilhoy. I think it sounded like he might be coming back into full, full strength, but he'd been dealing with a hamstring injury for the last couple of weeks too. So it's just a lot of guys in that position group that right now are dealing with stuff. And, and it's a position group where, you, frankly, uh, you weren't that prepared to handle these type of things. Yeah, it's kind of like almost like a worst-case scenario for Oregon football because you have a generational talent at, at at quarterback, and you've got solid pieces to maybe good pieces at running back. Um, C.J. Verdell ran for a thousand yards last year. Travis Dye was just over th- uh, seven hundred. You know, you got an offensive line that's just absolutely stacked, um, and your really only question offensively was, you know what pieces at the receiver spot could step up and make up for the loss of Dylan Mitchell and what guys could improve their position from last year to help in that process. And and if you could figure that out, you have the makings of an offense that's going to be pretty darn potent. And now, like you said, two of the three or three of the you know seven most important guys uh, at that position group are out. Brendan Schooler, Micah Pittman, J.R. Waters. We don't know the extent, like you said, of Pittman, but it doesn't sound like it's it's just your typical, you know, he'll be back in two or three days type of, of a deal. I mean, he got carted off the field um, during the scrimmage for for his shoulder injury, which to me, you know, again, you don't want to speculate a lot, but you know, you don't get you don't get carted off or something uh, all that often if it's a very minor injury. Um, so it, it, now it now it goes to what's next? What happens next for Oregon football at the receiver position? And I think this puts a lot of stress on two guys in particular, um, Johnny Johnson, a junior, and Jalen Red, a junior. Those two guys are your more, most experienced players on the roster, um, the, the most productive players, I think, on the roster coming back, regardless of the injuries. And those two guys need to elevate their games until the other guys get back and, and beyond even really that of being go-to options. You have to have Johnny Johnson. You have to have Jalen Red kind of be that bridge until the the inexperienced guys, the Jawan Johnson, the Braylon, you know, Braylon Addison or Braylon Addison, Brian Addison, um, and J.R. Waters. Uh, J.J. Tucker, uh, Isaiah Crocker, excuse me, I said Jared Waters, Lance Wilhoyt, you know, until these these younger guys can get their feet wet and find their positions. Your, your vets have to be really good now. I mean, the, the, there's no 
there's no question about it. it. It's not, uh, well, maybe they can figure things out. It's no, they have to be good. 100%, you know, and, and those two guys, I think, I think you nailed it. Those are the two guys that we need to see production from. And, you know, Johnny Johnson a couple of weeks ago was really just kind of a second team receiver, but now you, you take out Schooler and you take out Pittman. He's, he's locked and loaded as one of those first team guys. I don't, I, I think, you know, I, I think it, you have some clarity now because to me it felt like there were like five or six guys battling for three starting spots and you've taken two of those guys out of the situation. And to me that kind of leaves Johnny Johnson and Jawan Johnson out wide and Jalen Red in the slot as the likely guys. I think Josh Delgado and Brian Addison are probably the only other two people who are, really have a say in that. Um, so yeah, I mean, those two players will need to be good and those two players will need to step up and, uh, you know, when you toss in the issues at tight end, you know, not to try to catastrophize this too much, but, you know, Jacob Breland and Cam McCormick are two guys who are also dealing with yeah. injuries and have missed extensive parts of camp. You're now talking about a lot of Justin Herbert's top options not being available during fall camp to work with him and to build that relationship. And, and you could see a situation here where you open with Auburn and it's not a lot of comfort and, and not a lot of time really working with some of these guys. And uh, worst case scenario, I, you know, maybe it's too strong, but like it does feel like a scenario here where Oregon is going to have to really figure some stuff out here on the fly. And part of me wonders if, you know, just from a pure depth perspective, you know, with, with three guys out at wide receiver now, part of me wonders if, do we see Sean Dollar start getting some reps at wide receiver? A guy like Daywood Davis, who it sounds like having a great camp on the defensive side of the ball, do they kind of say, hey, Daywood, just be ready. Maybe, maybe you, you practice some time with the jugs and running some routes again. I, it just, you're running into a situation here where it was already kind of an unexperienced and a mysterious group, but you take out two or three of these top guys, and, and now you're in, a, in an interesting spot, a really tough spot. And you feel, I mean, it needs to be said, you feel really bad for a guy like Micah Pittman, who all fall camp was getting rave reviews from just about everybody. And you, yeah. you, you ask anybody on the team, you know, who, you know who, who some of the top guys are. I mean, he was one of the first people everybody mentioned, so... Uh, for a player like that to maybe have his, you know, the start of his Oregon career delayed at some level, uh, you know, hopefully not for too long. Uh, it's a bummer. And the same thing for J.R. Waters, the guy who, who looked like he was coming along really nicely, who's who's now, yeah, who's also out, I think, four to six weeks with, with a right foot or right ankle injury. So, man, uh, injuries did not really hit the Ducks much the first couple, you know, first five to ten days of fall camp. But it just feels like over these last week or so, man, has it really caught up with them. And now it's going to be, how can you kind of fix this on the fly? I think it's going to be, you know, a big challenge to Marcus Arroyo and, and Javon Bonite to kind of get this thing figured out because it is, like we established, it's a tough, tough break to see a couple of these guys go down. And I, I, I think this is what makes things difficult, and um, because Oregon opens the season against Auburn, and that game and the importance of that game for not only Oregon but for the entire conference in the Pac-12 is astronomical. And because we're not part of the team and we can look forward and, and we can take things for granted and all that, you know, you look at the schedule and Nevada, Oregon should be able to beat Nevada, you know, with their run game and some, you know, some decent production at the receiver position, you know, they, they should win that game. And then Nevada, I mean, against the, the following week against Montana, you could run 90 run plays and, and, and Oregon sh- should win that football game you know, based off of just pure talent that the Oregon Ducks have. And then, but then you go to Stanford to open the conference play. And then, uh, that's going to be a difficult game where you, you know, you need as many of your top guys as you can get. And then the, the following next two weeks are a bye week. And then you have 
a home game against California and then another home game against Colorado. And so, you know, the schedule is kind of set up so that you can kind of, these injuries aren't devastating from a, from a schedule standpoint. But when you, you look at the, the, the timing of two particular games, Auburn and Stanford, that's going to make things really difficult to win against Auburn when you're not full force at receiver. And then, you know, maybe, by Stanford, Brendan Schooler, or by Stanford, J.R. Waters is back and can get on the football field, or maybe Micah Pittman's back. We don't know. But it that's what makes things so just gut-wrenching is that you don't have this gradual buildup, you know, where you can maybe get by without having, a, you know, one or two of your best, you know, seven guys at the receiver position for your first two or three games. No, you, you start game one against – a, you know, a top 20 opponent in Auburn who's 16th in the AP poll. And, oh, by the way, if, if you lose this game, there's going to be a highly unlikely possibility that you don't make the college football playoff. Even if you go 11-0 and win your conference championship, there's going to be that one blemish at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the timing of this again is it's 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 brutal because I think the conference is going to be measured largely based upon this Oregon Auburn game and whether or not that's fair or not, you know, it, is, it remains to be seen. But if Oregon goes out here and, and is not able to move the ball through the air, I, I think they're going to have a really hard time winning the game. I mean, just point blank, uh, unless this is a defensive shootout, kind of like the Red Box Bowl, and Oregon's able to win another seven six game or a game right. where you know both, both teams score you know one or two touchdowns. That would be the blueprint to do this because uh, I just don't know if, if against that Auburn run defense. And maybe, I, maybe I'm sleeping a little bit on Oregon's offensive line and the, and the ability of this running game to get going, but Auburn's defensive line is known as being one of the best in the country. And it seems it's, it's going to be difficult to rely upon, you know, the run game to put up 250, you know, 300 yards or something like that against that group and expect to win a football game. It's just going to be very difficult. So again, a, a lot of pressure in terms of winning that game. You're right. In terms of, I think, you lose that game, yeah, I, I think the college football playoff thing probably dissipates a little bit. And, and now, as the season progresses, even if Oregon is run, rattling off wins, and maybe they, I don't know, if they run through conference play unbeaten and then they win the conference championship game and they're 12-1, and one, maybe, maybe they have a shot. But I, I agree, it, it really impacts things. And this is where not being at full strength to open the season, you know, potentially, we, again, we, the Pittman thing, we're sort of speculating here, but if he's not available... It's just it's brutal, you know. It is. It's it's really really rough. And then you hope if, if they do lose that game, and again we're projecting that line here that they can get some comfort level in those next two games because this is a thing where if they can't figure out that position before Stanford, I mean that's going to be another game where it's going to be really tough to just win running the football. You need your weapons. So uh, yeah, the next two, couple weeks here of, of fall camp and, and of I guess the practice leading up to the Auburn game seeing what this receiver group looks like, seeing what kind of alterations make, seeing kind of like what this two deep looks like uh, is going to be fascinating and very, very interesting to follow for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Eric and I will maybe make our predictions on maybe what receiver will will have stepped up to kind of alleviate some of this these injuries, uh, the, the player maybe that these injuries impact the most in terms of playing time and, who will have to step up the most. And then we'll also give a, a little bit of updates on scrimmage and uh, other topics with Oregon football. So real quick, we'll be right back with some words from our sponsors. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prame, Eric Scopel here, uh, talking Oregon Duck football. Um, we posed this question, Eric, at the end of the, of the first segment of the show, and I'll, I'll give you my answer first. Um, the question is, with with now Brendan Schooler out, J.R. Waters out, and now Micah Pittman out, um, what player will have the biggest, you know, I don't want to say benefit from these injuries, but, you know, his right. role will expand because of the opportunities. Um, I think we'll, we'll see a lot of Juwan Johnson in the slot, and I think that's because on the outside, we're, I think there's going to be a good chance that uh, we see Mike, we see uh, Brian Addison move up and get some run with the ones. Um, he he might allow you know John Johnson and, and Brian Addison to be on the outside, and the Ducks put Johnny Johnson into the slot, or Jalen Red stays in the slot, or Juwan Johnson moves into the slot, and Johnny's on the outside. Um, Brian Addison is is six foot five, just like um, Juwan Johnson is, and can can give Oregon a, a second. You know, really tall receiver on the outside, or if they play Juwan in the slot, you know, you've got really interesting matchups. I think this is a, this is a guy we've heard a ton about during all of last season, uh, into spring football this year, and then again now in fall camp, a guy that's, you know, supposedly been performing well. Um, I'm, I'm gonna pick Brian Addison as the guy that's gonna have, you know, that's going to see his role expand even more now. I think a guy I'm gonna mention here who, we haven't talked a lot about yet so far as Josh Delgado, uh, because he's somebody who has been working in the slot, but he's also been working outside. They've been kind of cross-training him, Pittman, Joan Johnson, and I think Johnny Johnson kind of in a, a couple different spots. And I, I look at Delgado as somebody who's proven to be pretty capable at both places, and, and I, I would imagine we'll get a little bit more of an opportunity now with – I mean, look, everybody's going to probably get increased opportunity with just how stuff's played out, and, and this will be – a chance for a lot of these guys, but Togato is, is really the only healthy true freshman right now at the receiver, which is crazy because they brought in four guys and we're, you know, 13, 14 practices into fall and three of them are, are, are kind of down or have been down at times. But I, I look at Delgado as somebody that just seems to be reliable and, and pretty consistent and pretty level headed. I don't know if he's going to be a guy who makes a bunch of huge plays or not, but I think he's someone who you're going to hear from a little bit more if, if, if slash, uh, you know, I guess just depending upon how long Pittman is out, I, I just think he's a guy who to kind of keep an eye on. And I, I also like the Johnny Johnson pick that we talked about earlier. Just 
somebody who was kind of felt like a bit of an afterthought as fall opened, but now two through through two scrimmages, I think both scrimmages, Cristobal has pointed to Johnson as somebody who stood out, uh, making a lot of tough plays, and, and especially as a blocker. Uh, I, I think he's somebody who had a really really tough sophomore season, dropped a lot of passes, seemed to kind of fall out of favor, maybe a little bit with Herbert. Not not saying that Herbert disliked playing with him, but maybe Herbert started second guessing, throwing to him a little bit. I think he's somebody who has a chance to to really kind of make up for, you know, have a redemption year, I think, uh, because there is more opportunity. And, and frankly, he need, it's, it's required now. He's one of the veteran guys, and I think there's an opportunity for him to really step up and, and be a leader there for, for that group going forward. All right, the scrimmage, um, fans were allowed to get in to, to watch some of it if you were a season ticket holder. Um, sounds like, you know, Tyler Shuck and Justin Herbert, based off of what, Cristobal said, based off what the school released from information on that practice, um, both those guys looked pretty good. Uh, also sounded like there was really only one drop, which is pretty impressive, which tells you also, and it wasn't Micah Pittman's injury catch. He caught it, by the way. Cristobal noted that, uh, <laughs> that Pittman did get hurt. He did hurt his shoulder, but he did catch the football. Small uh, consolation right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, it, it seems like, you know, from a perspective there, the offense was, was playing well, even without Pittman at, at all three levels. Um, Tyler Shuck had a beautiful drop pass, uh, over the shoulder to a receiver, JJ Tucker, who caught it and, um, he dropped the ball just right over the shoulder perfectly, supposedly. And, um, JJ Tucker took it for about 30 yards and almost for a touchdown. Um, probably what was described as probably the, the play of the day in that that scrimmage from, from Shuck. Um, and then Chris Ball noted that the offense came out hot and was looking really, really good. And then um, the defense kind of punched back and won some reps. And then uh, from there it went back and forth and kind of what you were expecting out of a scrimmage. Um, you you want to see someone jump out and you, and you want to see the other team, you know, fight back and, and make it an even contest. And now the, the staff goes into – um, a, a couple days now where they'll be doing some final evaluations, some, some final debating on who, who lands where. Uh, and then in the next couple of days, they're going to flip the page and it's going to go from fall camp week to, you know, preparing for Auburn. And, and I mean, this is, these are pivotal days. I mean, this is maybe the most important week yet. And, and I think that's probably true. Just yeah, the closer you get to game, I think each practice becomes slightly more important than the next one. Obviously, these practices that have just wrapped up were crucial. I think the scrimmage, which you just summarized, it was critical in terms of evaluating players, in terms of evaluating what they're doing, you know, schematically. Uh, Cristobal mentioned that he's going to watch the stuff like three or four times <laughs> through uh, <laughs> to review. So that tells you the level of commitment, how much they value these kind of opportunities. Um, but yeah, you're moving now to to really almost like an extended game week for Auburn, and, and I think they're taking it really seriously because they recognize how much this game means. And uh, you know, you speak with some of the players all camp, and they've kind of all said similar things. Of now, we're focused on ourselves, but in the back of their head, they've kind of acknowledged that there's a big game coming up, and they're they're aware of the fact that they're going to have to be kind of be ready a little bit quicker to go, just because, like we established earlier, and mentioning with the Pittman news, there aren't, there's not a warm-up game this year. There's not a game that kind of allows you to sort of kind of get into a rhythm. You're going to have to be ready to go right away. And, and so these next, you know, eight or nine practice days are going to be critical for getting them ready. And it starts a little bit earlier than maybe it does for some teams. But, yeah, I think 
the focus becomes Auburn now, and, and, and that's going to be a lot of what we'll be talking to Oregon coaches and players this week about is, is how does that impact things? And, you know, how, now we can really start talking about this matchup, which is something we haven't really done a whole lot of just because it has been, you know, with Oregon at least a lot of now we're working on ourselves. We'll get to Auburn when we get to Auburn. Well, heck, we're getting to Auburn right now. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the coaches see, what the expectations are, and kind of from a player perspective – how they're feeling going into this, again, what is a critical game for this season. There's also been the the release of the AP poll. So we now have the coaches poll and we also have the AP poll, which, Eric, you, you buying where Oregon's been at? I, I, I like it. I think, uh, yeah, Oregon was ranked 13th in the, in the coaches poll that was released a couple of weeks ago and 11th, uh, well, today, today being Monday, uh, August 19th. Uh, they were ranked 11th by the AP. Uh, I think those are, that's about where I expected, honestly. That, that feels like a good range. I don't think they're, it doesn't feel quite like a top 10 team just yet in terms of, I think there's some stuff for them to prove. And again, if they beat Auburn, certainly I would expect they'd be in the top 10 in both of those polls. Um, I guess depending slightly on what happens in front of them, but that is the biggest game kind of in that opening weekend there. So an opportunity to move up, but it, it feels about right. I think. Um, being the highest rated Pac-12 team in this poll, at least, I think Washington was rated slightly ahead of them in the coaches poll. Um, but I think Oregon has the most talented team in the Pac-12. And I've said that a couple of times and I think this feels like a fair representation and, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's right. It would be, I think it would feel a little early to go this team that wasn't even ranked when last year's season ended, that won nine games, that finished its season with a seven and seven and seven to six victory over Michigan State in the Red Box Bowl that team should be a top 10 team. That feels a little bit hasty to me. I think 11 feels, honestly, 11-13, somewhere in that range feels about right right now. If if they were healthy, would you have more conf- would, would Should they be even higher, or do you, do you think that was even taken into consideration? I don't, I don't think that was taken into consideration. And actually, if, if I think if you did take, let's say the Pittman news had already come out and there was some sort of, he was out for an extended period of time, personally, I would drop them a slot or two, just because I think that could have an impact on some of these early games. I mean, really, like we've talked about all podcasts, it's a big loss. Um, so, no, I, I really think this is about kind of their peak in terms of, you know, looking at them. I, I just would ha- I'd be hard-pressed to say they're a top-ten team now. Again, they go out and they play Auburn really, really well, and if they beat them, even without some of these receivers being uh, available, I, I would be like, yeah, let's throw them in the top eight. Maybe this team is for real. And once they get all their weapons together, maybe this is a team that can really compete for – not just a Pac-12 championship, but a college football playoff championship. But right now, I, I just I, I, I think there's a level of we need to see on the field because we saw it at times last year. Certainly, there were games where you're like, okay, this team looks special. They have some they have some really you know talented pieces. They they're able to do some things that kind of reminds you a little bit of, of kind of those glory days from you know four or five years ago. But then there are also just games where they struggled so much. So uh, you know, starting the season on the road. Playing a team like Auburn, I think, sets you up for that perfect test to kind of get a barometer of where they really belong nationally. By the way, that was that was the last bit of items we had on our rundown for for the episode. Um, we failed to plan to discuss this, Eric. New uniforms. Uh-oh. Oh yeah, uniforms. I, I'm not a uniform guy. Matt, are you a uniform guy? I thought they looked pretty clean from my perspective. I don't require a lot from a uniform perspective. I just like to be able to see the numbers and to, and to have color, colors that look sort of coordinated. 
Uh, and that's sort of that's sort of my uh, expectation for uniform. So as long as I can read the numbers and the names and the, and the colors look decent, I'm like, okay, I, I'll sign off on those. Did you have a more, <laughs> a more expansive point? I'm like the worst guy for a uniform segment because I just I'm just like I don't really. If you can ask my fiance about my fashion sense, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, can I put it on and I'll look okay? All right, I'll put it on and look okay. So uh, <laughs> as long as the jerseys go on and look okay and everybody's wearing the right jerseys and have their numbers, I'm I'm on board. <laughs> Um, I think I'm more of a uniform guy than you, but I'm not. It'd be hard, it'd be hard if you weren't. You'd be surprised if you weren't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not full fledged uniform guy. I used to be. Uh, I used to think the uniform thing was really cool. Uh, but yeah, this year I I do think they did release what five new uniforms. Um, and I, the the this is the inside joke for the media and some of the players. Um, but there was. An offensive lineman that was included in the photo shoot, Shane Lemieux, who released all the photos. And the funny, the inside joke here is that during the week, Shane complained, uh, about how during, you know, during practice, no one's shooting photos of the offensive lineman. And lo and behold, he gets a whole photo shoot. So I, I gave him a little bit of, um, some rub on that one. Uh, you know, not, he didn't get a photo because he got a whole photo shoot for the uniforms. But overall, I, I, I dig them. I like them. I'm like you. Um, can I see the numbers and can I see them clearly? Uh, I thought the last couple of years the numbers were obnoxiously big. Um, kind of still the same way, but a little bit less. And then I really like the white and green, like forest green uniforms that they had. Um, I go back to like 2013, so Marcus Mariota's. 2012, his first year, they kind of look like the ones that they wore in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, green pants, white top, green helmet. I think that's a really good look. Um, I'm, I'm classic. If, if you throw Oregon with a yellow and a green combination of some sort, it's going to look good. Um, and, and I like that, you know, there's not a lot of silver. There's not a lot of black. There's not a lot of, you know, blue. They've done blue before. They've done pink. Um, for breast cancer awareness, that one I get. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of like non-traditional organ colors, and that's the thing that I like the most is you know stick with stick with what you know what got you here and and, and your school colors and you'll be and you'll be good. Here's a question for you that I'm sure people listening would totally disagree with. Would you at all be? What would your response be if Oregon came out and said, we're not going to do new uniforms every couple of years. We're going to do new uniform. We're going to have these uniforms be the uniforms for like the next seven years. Sure. Are you up for that? Because I, I, I feel like the fan base gets super excited about the variety of uniforms, how they change. There's so much anticipation. Um, I mean, the fact that they are, you know, exhibiting new uniforms at a scrimmage, you know, to sort of show it off. I mean, that sort of tells you uh, that they that they realize that there's a market for it. But like, if if they said now nah, we're actually we like these a lot we're gonna hold on to these for seven or eight years like do you, would you respond well to that do you think the fan base would respond well to that because I do think there are some people out there that almost enjoy the jersey reveal as much as they do like the first couple of games you know where it's a huge part of the fandom for them is having the jerseys appreciating the the, the alterations they make I, I know people that are that are like the different fabric they're using or the different helmets and all that stuff like do you think that would de- deter or how do, what do you think the impact would be if, if they did decide to adopt like a long-term jersey rather than mixing it up? I don't think that would be good just because um, that goes away with Oregon's whole like identity, like right. always changing, always changing the game. Um, 
evolve, you know, evolving football, like that, that's like kind of their tradition is being untraditional and always, you know, having something new and pushing, you know, pushing the bar just a little bit higher. So I, I would probably say no to that, not because like, I don't like the fact that, you know, they're sticking with one uniform, but just that's because that's not who they are. Yeah, no, I, 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 and I think, that, and I don't think, to be clear, I don't think that would ever happen. I just think, maybe personally, me being boring uniform guy, I, I wouldn't be opposed to having a, finding a really clean uniform and just sticking with it for a while. But at the same time, you're right. I think a big part of the identity is innovation. I think even the signage over at the Duck Store yeah. uh, by the HTC was like innovating college football since you know 1999 or, or whatever, because I think Correct. it was like the 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary. So. I get it. I, I was just just throwing it out there because it it is somewhat unique and not overly unique now the way college football works. But to to have such frequent turnover in terms of the uniform is, is a little bit different. And again, I, I it doesn't really get my juices flowing. But I know for a lot of people, it's a huge thing. That's going to do it for us on the podcast. We'll have another one later this week, kind of probably breaking down the organizational depth chart for week one, uh, if if we get that in time or making our predictions for that. So we've got lots to, to discuss this week as Oregon continues to finalize fall camp, begin prep for Auburn. And the next week, Eric and I travel to Dallas, Arlington, Fort Worth, what some, some area in that, in that part of, of Texas, uh, for a football game. So for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.